G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Christmas, well, they talk about baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. But this Jesus, is he who he says he is? Can Christmas really make a difference, I mean, in your life and mine? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to open God's Word together to take a close look at Christmas. Where did that baby come from? What can it possibly mean for you and me here today? And please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about my free daily devotional, Fresh. It's all about helping you draw closer to Jesus to become all that He created you to be. Welcome to the second message in a series that I've called Message in a Bottle. In these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to take a look at this most amazing night, this Christmas story. You know that wonderful Christmas carol, O Holy Night, the stars, the stars are shining. The shepherds and the angels and and Mary and Joseph and that baby Jesus, God in the flesh. And for me, you know, when you strip away all the noise and the rubbish and the commercialism around Christmas, it is the most wonderful celebration. But it struck me how the very beginning of the story of Christmas in the New Testament, if you have a Bible, go and grab it. We're going to Matthew chapter 1. It struck me how often we skim over the first dozen or so paragraphs of what God writes about Christmas. If you open up the very first page of the first book of the New Testament, it's the book of Matthew, and it begins, of all things, with a genealogy, a boring list of names. Now, I love doing things that surprise people, and a few years ago, I was sharing a message leading up to Christmas on this passage in the beginning of Matthew, and I asked a lady, a friend of mine, Pamela, to do the Bible reading And I asked her to read through this genealogy. Now, fortunately, I gave her a week's notice because some of the names are just a little bit difficult to get the old tongue around. And when she sat down, everybody gave her a standing applause for for managing to make it through the genealogy. And I guess most of us haven't heard a message on this genealogy in a long, long time, if ever. Now, I know what you're thinking, a genealogy. But are you going to be talking about a genealogy? But listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So that, what? So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. In other words, when I read through this genealogy, and I probably, like you, skip through genealogies in the Bible. You know, I kind of don't like to read every word. But as I began to read through this particular genealogy, I thought, hang on a minute, God decided 
to begin the New Testament with a genealogy. Why did he do that? What was going on? This book of Matthew. Matthew literally means a gift from God. And it starts with an account of Jesus' bloodline, his birthline. Jesus Christ. Jesus means Yahweh saves, God saves. Christ means Messiah. So you put all that together and this book is a gift from God about God's anointed saviour. So I'm thinking, I've actually got to get into this genealogy and say, why did God put it here? What does it mean that the Christmas story begins with a genealogy? What is God trying to say to you and me here and now? That's probably not the way that you or I would start a biography of some great leader. But genealogies were significant to the Jews. They were about purity of lineage. Firstly, remember that land was given to Israel by tribes. So your right to own land was affected by your genealogy. If you were a priest, your priestly authority came from your genealogy. And your legal standing, if you were in line for the throne, royal succession came through your genealogy. And the genealogies of people were kept on the public record. In the Sanhedrin and in the temple, you could go and verify that somebody was who they said they were. So to the Jews, it wasn't just a boring list of names. It was fascinating. And have a look to see how Matthew chapter 1 actually starts out. The first verse, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Three main characters, Abraham, David, and Jesus. And Abraham and David being referred to here point back to some promises. We're going to look at those promises today because they have everything to do with with Christmas. People were expecting a Messiah. We're going to look at why a little bit later in the program. But at this point in Israel's history in the first century, they were definitely looking for a Messiah. So God is the keeper of promises. And let's just have a quick look to see what the promise is. If you want to flick back to the promise that God made to Abraham, you go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Let's have a look at that. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 says this, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And if you flick over to Genesis chapter 15 verse 5, it goes on to say that God brought Abraham outside in his tent and he said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you can count them. And then God said to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. And he believed And the Lord reckoned this as righteousness to him. So here is a promise to Abraham, the father of the whole nation of Israel, that Abraham would have many, many children. Remember, he and Sarah were very old and they couldn't have children, yet God was making a promise. So this very first verse of Matthew points back to those promises. It also points back to the promise that God made to David. Let's have a look at that. Flick on a little bit to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. This is what it says. When your days are fulfilled, this is a promise to David, remember the king. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
So here is the promise to David that there would be a lineage that would go on forever, that the, the reign of the house of David would go on forever. David was the Messiah. He was the anointed king of Israel. That's the actual word that they used for the king, the Messiah. And the promise of God was the offspring of David. There would be royal succession that would go on forever. So you bring these two promises together. And the promise of God is that there will be a king who will rule forever, who will be a blessing to all the nations. The question is, what happens next? Well, just after this promise is given to David, David has a son called Solomon. And Solomon is the last king of a united Israel. Israel splits in two, they begin to worship idols, God sends prophets, they reject God, and ultimately in 586, 587 BC, um, they are exiled to Babylon into slavery, the monarchy is destroyed, and really the whole thing falls apart for Israel because they rejected God. They just ran away from God, they ignored God, and for four or five centuries there was no king. I mean, to us, that's like not having a democracy. And by the first century, the emperor was Roman because they were under Roman rule. There was a governor there who was Roman. There was a false king. Um, The Sanhedrin was corrupt. This was a messy, corrupt, religious, political environment. It was brutal. I mean, the, the Roman oppression was brutal. And into this, Matthew writes, God speaks through Matthew of the promise made to Abraham and made to David. They were expecting Messiah. The question is, what sort of Messiah were they going to get? I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. The Word of God is alive and active, amen, with the power to transform your life, to help you be all that God made you to be. And that's what the Fresh Daily Devotional is all about. It's completely free, and I'd love to send it to you. Each day, you'll receive a life-changing scripture, together with some words of inspiration, hope, and encouragement from me, delivered right to your inbox, where you can choose to read, listen, or even watch the daily video. It's completely up to you. Remember, God's Word is the power to change. It's fresh for you each day. You can subscribe to receive your free daily devotional at freshdevotional.org or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the printed Fresh Devotional, if that works better for you. Again, that's freshdevotional.org or 1-300-722-415. My prayer is that your heart will be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through the power of His Word. And there is such an incredible power in the Word of God, is there not? So let's dive straight back in to see what else He has for us today. So Israel was expecting a Messiah, but what did He look like? Luke chapter 3 and verse 15, we read about John the Baptist. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, we see that John goes on and says, Well, you know, I baptize you with water, but someone who's much more powerful than me is coming. I'm not fit to tie up his sandals, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You read Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and Jesus says to his disciples, Who do people say that I am? 
And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. See, the, the people expected a Messiah. They expected God to send them someone. They desired one. But they were mixed up as to what he would look like. There were lots of people called Jesus in those days. There were lots of people who claimed to be the Messiah. There was lots of hype. How are they going to pick the right one? And that's what this genealogy is about. Matthew's Gospel was written somewhere around 60 to 70 AD. And at this point, the Jews and the Christians were arguing about who Jesus was. The Jews said, he's not the Messiah. The Christians said, yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. And Matthew is specifically writing to a Jewish audience here. And he lists on the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And on it goes, this long genealogy. And what it's really saying is, I know there are a lot of people out there claiming to be the Messiah. I know there are a lot of people claiming to be the one that God sent. But here is the genealogy of the man. Here, as a matter of public record, is his genealogy and his right to be the anointed king, the Messiah. See, genealogies, for the purposes of land and for the purposes of legal entitlement and for the purposes of royal bloodline in this patriarchal society, always went through the father. And what it shows here is that Jesus is, in fact, a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham And he is the rightful king. And you don't believe me? It's a matter of public record. This was written at a time when the information was still in the public record in the temple and the Sanhedrin. So people could go and check. People could verify the link of Jesus back to God's promises, back to God's vast plan. They could identify that actually he is the one. There were many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. He'll come from a woman's womb. He'll be born to a virgin. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Murder will surround his birth. He will be given the name Emmanuel. He will be given gifts. He'll be taken back to Egypt. Many, many prophecies that Jesus opened up in the Old Testament. But here the New Testament comes with, right at the beginning, a legal verification of Jesus' entitlement to his claim to be the Messiah. It is evidence that God keeps his promises. And, and when I look at Christmas through, through this boring genealogy, let's face it, that's the way we would look at it these days. What I read is that God keeps his promises. Jesus was born on that holy night. The stars, the stars were shining. The very same stars that were shining over Abraham those many centuries before when God made him a promise that he would be a blessing to many nations. God is faithful. Christmas is about God's faithfulness. This genealogy speaks of God's faithfulness. See, if we just walk into Christmas saying, well, I've got to buy some more, more presents and I've got to get some more food and I've got to do all this, Christmas ends up being meaningless. The New Testament begins with rock-solid evidence of the faithfulness of God that he has indeed fulfilled his promise to Abraham and his promise to David to send his son. 
It's a leap of faith, but it's not a blind leap of faith. The evidence is laid out. It was laid out at a time when people could either verify it or disprove it on the public record. That's why that genealogy is there. We're going to come back after this break and look at what all that means for you and me here and now. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. Life can be hard work some days and as that daily grind just kind of grinds away at us, it's easy to forget that Jesus died and rose again to give us victory. That's why I'd love to send you a short text message of encouragement straight to your phone, just as the Spirit leads, perhaps even when you least expect it. That's what Victory SMS is all about. Roughly every other week, I ask the Lord, what word of encouragement could I give to you today? So if you'd like the occasional bit of encouragement to help you live your life in victory, then head across to victorysms.org and when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of my ebook, Power Unlimited. Thousands of people already have. And the most common response? Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know that? Thank you so much. It's simply amazing how powerfully the Spirit of God can move through just a short text message. And I'd love to encourage you too to live your life in victory. Again, that web address is victorysms.org. Okay, let's head straight back into the Word of God. All right, so we've been looking at this beginning of the Christmas story, this genealogy, this link between the Old Testament and the New, this this link that points back to the fact that the whole idea of Christmas began a long, long time before that starry, starry night in Bethlehem. And when you read through the genealogy, I'm not going to do that now, but when you read through the genealogy, you find all sorts of people. There are people who were prophesied about. There were people who were totally unknown. There are 16 names in that genealogy that are not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. There are kings, there are paupers, there are Jews, there are Gentiles. There are good kings, six of them, 19 bad kings. When we think of King David as one of the good guys, but he committed adultery. He had someone murdered. And one of the really interesting things that we're going to look at right now is that there are five women in this genealogy. Now, sadly, you go back to this time 2,000 years ago in the first century, and women had no rights. They were chattels. They had no legal rights. They couldn't own land. They couldn't inherit anything. They couldn't testify in a court of law. And they were never, I say again, never listed in genealogies. But here in this genealogy, we have five women. Now, what's that about? In this patriarchal society that never put women in genealogies, Why are they there? What's God saying to us, to you and me, here and now about Christmas by putting them there? Well, the first one is in verse 3. A woman by the name of Tamar. Now, she was a temple prostitute. She was Judah's daughter-in-law and she committed adultery. You can read about her in Genesis chapter 38. Verse 5, the second woman is Rahab. Now, remember, Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. You can read about her in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. The third woman is a woman called Ruth. She has her own book in the Old Testament. Now, Ruth is a Moabite. 
The Moabites were enemies of the Jews. This is what the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, says about Moabites. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. So we've got a Moabite. Verse 6, look at this. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, is that damning or what? Remember, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. She was another man's wife. His name was Uriah. And he, David, committed adultery with Bathsheba. David had Uriah murdered. Their first child died. Their second son was a gift from God. His name was Solomon. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So here in Jesus' genealogy is not just a temple prostitute, not just a prostitute in Jericho, not just a Moabite who was an enemy of God, but here is a woman who conceived one of Jesus' ancestors in adultery. And then in verse 16 is the fifth woman, Mary. This woman, who as far as the rest of society was concerned, had conceived a son out of wedlock, which brought enormous shame on her and on Joseph. And we're going to look at that next week in a message that I've called Jesus the Illegitimate God. So here are these five women, five very imperfect women. There are no paragons of virtue. There are no wonderful Israelite Jewish women. What's God saying to us in all that? I believe he's saying there's no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female, because all are one in Christ Jesus. Have you ever felt that you're just not good enough to be part of God's family, that somehow you and I fall so far short of the glory of God that we just could never fit into God's family? I believe that this genealogy is an invitation which says you don't have to be good enough. This genealogy deliberately puts those imperfect women into the list to speak to you and me. There are a whole bunch of Christians in God's kingdom who flounder, who are blown around by this doctrine and that, who, who don't live in victory, who don't bear fruit, who don't impact other people's lives with the love of Christ. Christians who are hurtling head on towards Christmas, just trying to buy presents and just trying to finish off their work and and just trying to get all this other stuff done without a deep foundation in their hearts to know what Christmas is about. Listen, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness so that everyone, everyone includes you and it includes me. Everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. This genealogy is not just a boring list. This genealogy is how the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, decided to begin the very first book in the New Testament. The very first book about the grace of Jesus Christ. He begins with a rock-solid platform. The intention of God is that you and I can stand on this rock-solid platform. This platform that says, at a time when this genealogy could be checked against the public record, it is legally established that Jesus is the Christ. Not just one way, but the way. We can know that with certainty through this genealogy. 
We look at this genealogy, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. We can look at the promises God made to Abraham and David and say, Matthew is pointing back to those because Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. God keeps his promises. We can pick this Jesus, this authentic saviour, from all the other people that say, I've got a way, try my way, follow me. No, this Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. And then, through an amazing act of grace, God points out to us here in this genealogy, through listing these imperfect women, through listing people like David who committed adultery, through listing the good kings and the bad kings, that Jesus became one of us. If you ask people who believe in Jesus, is he more like God or is he more like you and me? You know, most of us would answer, Jesus is more like God than he is like you and me. Jesus is fully God, but he's fully human too. And that's what this genealogy speaks to you and me. It is time for us to have a rock-solid place to stand, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came for you and me, little old imperfect you and me. And that is why Jesus begins his story about himself this way. It's food for the soul. Christmas is a feast. Works program is sharing the powerful, practical Word of God with so many people in over 160 countries around the world. But that's only made possible through the generous support of friends just like you. Each dollar that you give today will grow to reach nearly 3,000 people with a gospel message. Incredible! That means that a gift today of just $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. Securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, two things. Firstly, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I've been telling you about. It's only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Secondly, we would love to pray for you. Absolutely. Just click on the powerful prayer tile at the bottom of the homepage. Again, that's all at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.